0: Welcome to the Plant School Podcast. I'm Rachel and here we learn about plants, how to care for them, how they work, and I keep it simple and taught in a way that anyone from beginner to expert can enjoy. Join me in plant school. Welcome to Plant School, everyone. This week, we're going to be talking about seeds. This is one of my plant science lessons where we dive into a topic in botany and we kind of learn the science behind it. This episode, I told you guys last week that I had been putting it off, but there is actually so much to say about seeds It was really interesting to learn about them, despite what I was thinking it might be like to research seeds, but I'm going to keep it very light, very simple. I don't want to bore you guys and go into every minute detail about seeds, so I'm just going to kind of cover the basics and share some interesting facts, hopefully give you a better grasp on this botanic topic and kind of make you more knowledgeable in this area. So the first obvious question would be, what are seeds? So when you look it up, a seed is a reproductive body of both angiosperms, which are flowering plants, and gymnosperms, which are things like conifers, your pine trees, cycads, and ginkgos. A seed consists of three parts. There's the embryo, which is the undeveloped plant tissue inside of a seed. There's the endosperm and that is the tissue that surrounds and nourishes the embryo in the seed. And then last there's a seed coat which is the protective outer coat of a seed. And so if you're listening this far into the episode and you're wondering why why do we even care about seeds? Like are they even cool? That's that's what I would ask. And the answer is yes they are cool because we rely on seeds in a lot of ways. So by themselves They are an important food source, such as like cereal grains like wheat, rice, corn, peas, beans, peanuts, soybeans, almonds, sunflowers, cashews. There are so many seeds that are just a food source all by themselves. Not only that, but seeds can make oils for cooking they can make industrial machine oils, and they also make essential oils. My husband actually worked for an essential oil company. He doesn't anymore, but we have a lot of essential oils around our house, whether we like it or not. Sometimes I don't know what to do with them, guys. If you have suggestions, please let me know because they are coming out of our ears still, and he hasn't worked there for like a year. But we also get stimulants from seeds such as coffee, cola, Oh gosh, Sam explained me how to say this word because he was in Brazil and I still can't say it. I'm going to go for it. It's guaraná. Yeah, that's that sounds right, Rachel. And there's cacao, which you find in chocolate. And we also get spices from seeds. There's mustard, nutmeg, anise, cumin, caraway seeds, dill, vanilla beans, black pepper, allspice. I could keep going on and on. Basically, without seeds, we would be losing a huge food source, and we would also be missing out on a lot of really great spices and flavors that we enjoy. Humans also, besides food, we've used them for beads throughout time, units of weight. One carat of weight once corresponded with one seed of the carob tree. That's kind of where that originates from. And seeds, if you're wondering where they came from, I have the answer for you. They of course evolved over time. This happened when there were ocean plants, right? Those were kind of the first plants around was algae and everything kind of developed from algae. There were more complex ocean plants and eventually they came more on the land and became land plants. They made this leap from ocean to land about 450 million years ago, and seeds evolved around 360 million years ago. So there is about a 100 million year gap for seeds to evolve instead of plants relying on water to reproduce. So up to this point, most plants were using spores to reproduce, and some stages relied on water for fertilization to occur. And one of the examples you can hear all about this is in our fern episode. I believe it was episode 40, but ferns are an example, or most ferns, use spores to reproduce and they need water for that fertilization process to occur. And you can hear all the details in that episode. So over time, there were ferns that developed into what they call seed ferns. The first one that we know of is now extinct. It was a fern named Elksinia. Polymorpha, and it evolved into the seed plants that we now know today it and it wasn't just all of a sudden you know these seed ferns evolved into a wide variety of tree ferns the way to the first gymnosperm in the ginkgo group which the only tree that survives today from that group is the ginkgo biloba and cycads then came along from diff, a different line Cycats are like these palm tree-like gymnosperms. They're, they have thick needle-like leaves, but they look like a palm tree. And then angiosperms came later. So gymnosperms are the older group. But the first angiosperm was a plant called Amborella trichopoda, and it still exists today. It's a small plant native to the rainforest of New Caledonia, which is an island in the South Pacific. And when they went through its DNA code, its genome. It showed that it related to all existing flowering plants, like in the whole world. And it belongs to the oldest confirmed branch of the angiosperm family tree. I think it might be the only one way back there all by itself because a lot of them uh, went extinct along the way, but this one did not. So for angiosperms, they are produced when a flower is pollinated pollen travels down the pollen tube to an ovule and that starts to produce fruit and inside of the fruit is the seed. And then for gymnosperms, Their name literally means naked seed, so they don't have a fruit covering them or anything, but when you think of a gymnosperm, you can think of conifers, pine trees, your cycads, those palm tree-like plants that I talked about, and then your ginkgos, which like I said, there's only one. There's ginkgo biloba, and Most gymnosperms, they have female and male cones. Sometimes they are on the same tree, sometimes they're apart, but the female cones, they let out A buttload of pollen and that pollen will eventually get to the male cones. I don't know if you guys have ever whacked an evergreen tree in those spring months when everyone has allergies, but oftentimes if you happen to whack one and you hit a female cone, it is just like a big cloud of pollen. It's kind of alarming to see that much come off of a tree. In fact, I feel like I've seen this video somewhere on the internet where a tree was hit really hard like a pine tree was hit really hard and it like left a ghost of pollen because it got moved so quick that it left behind its pollen and then it slowly you know blew into the wind but they produce a lot of pollen and just to give you an example of one of the trees that have their female and male cones on different trees there's male trees and female trees one example is the ginkgo biloba and the male trees they create these small little pollen cones and the females make the fruit in this case for the ginkgo and apparently the ginkgo's fruit once it has developed it's described as smelling like vomit dog poop hot garbage or rancid butter Sounds pretty disgusting. We had some on my university's campus and I, for the life of me, cannot think of it smelling bad. It was by some garbage, like some big garbage bins behind a building. And so I always just thought that was the smell of hot garbage, but maybe it was the ginkgo trees. I'm really not sure. And I'm not sure I want to like go take a field trip and smell it again and figure out if that's what it was. Anyways, over the years, seeds have evolved to be dispersed in a multitude of ways. They can be dispersed by wind, which is called anemochory. They can be dispersed by water, which is called hydrochory. Or they can be dispersed by animals, which is called zoochory. Animals is usually when a plant produces seeds or a fruit that is enticing to an animal. It can eat it and then poop it somewhere else or it can stick to an animal's fur, things like that. Okay, so I wanted to kind of go over if there have like been any crazy seeds in the development, like the evolution of seeds, right? Were there any seeds that was just like, whoa, no wonder that is extinct now, no wonder it didn't work. I tried looking up craziest seeds in the world. I kept getting a lot of articles about Minecraft seeds, and I Honestly, I have no idea what a Minecraft seed is. It was so confusing because I am not a Minecraft person. (laughs) If someone can explain that to me, please enlighten me what a Minecraft seed is. Once I got to what I was looking for, got through all that Minecraft stuff, in the late Carboniferous period, which was about 315 to 298 million years ago, there were ferns that produced seeds. And some had seeds as large as five by two inches, and I don't know. You think of ferns; that's a pretty big seed for a fern. That's twelve by six centimeters for those of you in the metric system. And looking into some other plants, there is a plant. This is just the biggest one. It actually the biggest seed. It this plant still exists. It's not something back in the evolutionary history. Unfortunately, there weren't a lot of examples of any like crazy seeds as seeds evolved. But this one is the biggest seed that exists today. So it's called a double coconut palm, if that tells you anything. And it has seeds weighing up to 60 pounds or 27 kilograms. That is massive. That is like a small child. And palms, like they're up there. I can only imagine if one of these decided to fall. I think it could very well kill an adult. It could. 60 pounds, that's that's huge. And the smallest seeds that are in the world come from orchids. And the smallest one weighs 10 billionths of an ounce. So, so very light. I don't even know how you'd be able to plant that. I feel like I would accidentally, I don't know, I'd accidentally breathe and it would float away. But speaking of crazy seeds, besides finding a bunch of Minecraft seeds while I was googling this, I found a lot of really ridiculous seeds that it was people selling plants that I'm pretty sure don't exist. So, The biggest one that I saw that was just totally ridiculous was for Mario's piranha plant. You could buy seeds for it. And like it was really honestly trying to sell you Mario's piranha plant. It was not a hoax. Like it was $11 for 200 seeds. Obviously, Mario's piranha plants don't exist in real life. And I'm just trying to prove a point with that one example, that there are a lot of unverified sources to buy your seeds. Some of them seem like they are really crazy good deals, and they will sell super, super cheap, or they will sell you something that seems way too good to be true, like Mario's Piranha Plant. In general, it's going to be weeds, or it'll be a random seed of a plant that you don't want. This is actually a huge problem of people selling you weed seeds, you want to buy from reputable sources. There are a lot of great companies out there that sell seeds and you can trust them because there are a lot of people that will try and scam you unfortunately. And moving on, I looked up how many different kinds of seeds exist in the world. I was really curious. It's estimated that there's around 400,000 seed-bearing plants. And of each of those, there are a lot of different varieties of every plant. So in reality, there's probably millions of different types of seeds that can give you a certain plant of a certain variety. There wasn't an exact number. I don't even know if it's a number that they have figured out of... How many plants are there of every single variety? Like give me an exact number. I'm not sure if anyone has ever sat down and written that down because when I was looking for it I could not find it. So knowing that there are so many different types of seeds in the world to make so many different types of plants, do we have anything in place to protect these seeds? Like what if there was some incredible natural disaster? Do we have a backup plan? And we do actually, but it's not what you may think. It's not for every single plant that is out there in the world. You aren't going to find monstera seeds or succulent seeds in these bunkers. They only have crop seeds. They're called genome vaults. They have these vaults all over the world. The one I want to talk about is kind of the main one because it is the backup to all of these vaults. So on the island Spitsbergen, which is between the North Pole and Norway, so very cold, there's a giant global seed vault and it keeps all of our seeds safe. Its nickname is the Doomsday Vault because like I said, it's the backup to all the already existing vaults all throughout the world. Being on this remote island away from everyone, it's also away from war. So no one's going to be accidentally blowing it up. And it's away from other catastrophes. It's not on a fault line. There's no water that can get into it. And it's away from human medley no one lives on this island and it's frozen so even with no power these seeds will stay frozen they will stay fresh and right now it's kept at negative 18 degrees celsius so it's kept very cold to keep these seeds viable there's very little monetary value to everything inside because it's just seeds of very common crops but they hold global food security which is priceless to us, right? It's going to keep humanity going in case there was some sort of global food crisis and we needed these seeds. So I mentioned it's the backup vault. There are about 1,700 other vaults. They call them gene vaults because they are basically keeping the genes of our food crops safe. And this vault in Spitsbergen, they have 930,000 varieties of seeds for just food crops. So nearly a million different varieties. Just to show you over 200,000 of those are just for rice. There's 200,000 varieties of rice. I had no I had no idea there were so many. But it basically holds 13,000 years of agricultural history. They hold seeds that we no longer grow anymore for food, but they did way, way back then. We have those seeds safely there. And the reason why they do this, not just for a big catastrophic, I don't know, like volcano or something crazy like that, it's also for something that is very possible, not as exciting as a volcano but we grow in today's day and age a huge monoculture of food. So for example, there are about 30 crops in the world that provide 95% of our food. So if there was a disease or there was a drought or a pest that just somehow ate up one of these crops, it would significantly hurt our food source. So this fall has all sorts of varieties of food. I mentioned the rice having 200,000 varieties. So if all of a sudden the one variety of rice that we're growing, mainly, if it was all of a sudden taken out by a disease, we could replace it with some different varieties. Maybe that pest wouldn't eat those, and we would be able to build up that food source of rice again. How cool is that, that we have this huge backup plan for just our food crop seeds in case something catastrophic happens to our food? What a great idea. I'm so glad there are smart people who think of these things. So how do you gather seeds? Seeds are ready to harvest at various times of the year. A good rule of thumb is when flowers have faded, if you are going for a plant that flowers, which is most plants, because it's not as likely as people are going around, you know, trying to find seeds for a pine tree as they would be maybe for their flowers that they like to have in their yard. So when the flowers have faded at the end of the season, you can go in, it's best to do this on like a dry sunny day so that the seeds aren't wet. When they are wet, they can mold and rot, and it's just harder to work with them. Some of them will start growing maybe if they are wet. So pick seed pods, Or the seeds themselves when it is dry and sunny just to make life easier on you you can pick seed pods when they are green and you can just let them get brown and dry in a windowsill or somewhere on your counter and then you can collect the seeds from there you can open them up when they are brown and dry and get the seeds out and put them in a bag and just make sure to store them somewhere where it's dry and cool You can take seeds from vegetables or fruit when they're fully ripe. The key, again, is to just make sure you get those seeds dried and cool. You don't want to, like, put them in the oven or anything. That will kill them, but just let them air dry and get off any residue of the vegetable or fruit that you're taking it from. A lot of people will store seeds in their fridge, which is completely fine. That's a great place to keep them where they aren't going to accidentally start germinating and growing. And it's also best to use seeds within two to three years because seeds don't last forever, unfortunately. That would be so nice. And when it's time to make a seed grow, I know for most of you, it, it's common sense. You stick it in the ground and you water it and that's about it. There are some seeds that just take a little bit more research depending on what seeds you have. As far as houseplants go, since that's mainly what I talk about on this podcast, there's actually not a lot of research done on growing houseplants from seed. I'm sure you can find blogs from here and there if you were to buy like Monstera seeds or Peace Lily seeds. But I would say if you do want to try to grow a houseplant from seed, just Google that certain houseplant and then experiment with the seeds. As far as like most common vegetables or fruits, you guys know they are so simple, require really no special treatment besides putting them into the soil. But some seeds, they aren't going to grow unless you break their dormancy. And this occurs naturally in nature, but when we're manipulating when we want the seed to start to germinate, we have to do it ourselves. Because these seeds, this has evolved over time so that they will grow only in the spring when they're gonna survive, right? They don't wanna pop up in the middle of winter and then they just all die and that's it. Like all those seeds have gone to waste. These are just ways that plants have evolved to survive. So there's stratification of seeds and this is just breaking a seed's dormancy by temperature or moisture. So some seeds require something really warm to get them to start growing or they require a certain moisture level to get them to start growing. And so you could think of your common vegetables needing stratification, but it's usually done naturally in the springtime with those warmer temperatures and with the moisture that you're giving them. That's what breaks it. Where it gets a little trickier, where most people don't think about it, is scarification, and that's breaking a seed's dormancy a physical means. So sometimes you have to scratch the seed. Sometimes you have to open them up a little bit. The only example that really comes to my mind is when, for a project in one of my classes, we had to get native seeds and we had to learn how to break their dormancy. And so, I had a prickly pear seed. I forget its exact scientific name. It was like Opuntia Engelmann something, but it was an Engelmann cactus that I was trying to grow. And these seeds you had to, they need scarification and so we got sandpaper and we had to kind of rub them a little bit to get them to open up and start growing. And it did work. I think maybe how this would happen in nature is maybe if it went through an animal stomach, maybe a bird stomach, kind of that scratching that happens in a bird's gullet. With those rocks that they have in there maybe that's what it was mimicking in nature or maybe like rocky soil moving around and getting that seed ready for germination but yeah we used sandpaper and they grew we weren't very good at keeping them alive after that because the greenhouse they were in was too wet and it was really sad to kill my little baby baby cactuses but i actually do have some seeds left over so maybe i will try it again and see if i can keep them growing but yeah, for every seed it is different. And so I wish I could go over every single one, but that would take days upon days, and we don't we don't have that kind of time in a podcast. So if you do get a new seed and you're wondering how to make it grow, maybe you want to try growing a house plant by seed, which I think would be really cool. Just make sure you go to a reputable website. Just do some research on if it needs to be scarified if you need to stratify it in some way and kind of experiment with how you can get that seed to grow. One last tip I do have is getting a wet paper towel, putting it in a warm area. I always love to do it just on the top of my fridge, but on that wet paper towel, put your seeds and put it into a little Ziploc baggie you don't have to close it all the way and you can start the seeds growing on that wet paper towel and then gently pulling them off and putting them into soil once they have started that will kind of help you only use the seeds that are viable because sometimes you'll plant a seed and nothing even happens it never even sprouts so by putting it on that wet paper towel you can see which ones are working and just start straight away with them growing from there That's something I would use in my classes for different experiments. We would test the viability of seeds. They had like commercial use paper, but it was basically like a wet paper towel sort of material. And we could just see how many seeds were viable out of a certain seed packet or things like that. But you can do it to your advantage to make sure you are growing the seeds that are actually going to grow. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope you guys learned a little bit more about seeds and can appreciate them a little more. I think it's amazing how much genetic material is encapsulated in those tiny little guys and I really enjoyed learning more about them. I really enjoyed sharing it with you guys today and I'm so glad that you guys decided to listen into today's podcast and I hope to have you guys listen along next week. Thank you for being here and listening today, and I hope you'll join me next week. If you'd like to support this podcast and keep it going, you can find the support link below in the description and donate. Or, I have some awesome Plant School merch, including stickers, shirts, and mugs, and the link to my shop is in the description as well. And if you don't want to spend any money but still support the podcast, share this podcast with a friend, either verbally or electronically. This will even qualify you for my giveaway. Just message me on Instagram, at tinnyplant, that you share the podcast with a friend, and you'll be entered in for a chance to win some goodies, winners will be announced on the podcast. Again, thank you for listening, and I hope you have a great week.